0: john seventeen twenty through twenty three my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may that they may be one as you we are one I in them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me.
1: Okay, so I think this is the time when I get to share with you why missions are important to me. And um, I want to read a scripture before I give you my thought, uh, which is Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. This is definitely something that we are familiar with, but nonetheless very important. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the Harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. So, obviously, that's what we call the mission field. And sometimes we read those those verses or those passages, and we hear those words, and and we possibly have a wrong understanding of uh, of, of what that's saying because um, we tend to believe that well there's plenty of people out there doing this no jesus was absolutely right that there are very few and mission work is not easy especially when you make the decision in your life to leave everything you know and go to a different country uh, different culture and and all the things that that means so personally obviously mission work is important to me because it brought me my beautiful wife And also, though, and most importantly, it brought me to faith. So I have witnessed mission work in Italy through AIM and Avanti Italia um, in in a way that maybe people don't get to, meaning that I was able to witness it. Um, It brought me to Jesus, brought me to baptism after many years of um, searching for God. At the same time, as I um, got to hang out with with the AIM kids, as we call them, uh, the the young people that were there, I got to experience and see the struggle that they go through uh, with their funding, with their finances, with the ability that they have to be able to stay on the mission field. And in many cases, Lenita's case included, there was a time when she was able to stay for an extended period of time, and then one day she got communication that her funding was gone, like from one month to the other. And that is life-changing stuff. Uh, It's nothing to joke about because that affects one person's life or a group's life. And so um, it's very important as we look forward to this mission month and and into giving that we understand that what we're giving to is sustenance and everyday ability to do God's work to a lot of people who have um, left everything they know in some cases to to do God's work so thank y'all.
2: Thanks again, David. Appreciate that, and uh, appreciate everybody again being with us. You know, God is so good. Um, in the midst of difficult times and troubles, you know, we get to celebrate things. And we have a shepherd at our church that wouldn't be here without without aim, without a ministry that we support, without missions and the things that we do. And it's just an incredible thing. And today we're going to take some time to reflect on that. I do want to encourage you again, pick one of these up or get this on the app and go through... This Devo Guide, as we kick that off tomorrow morning or evening, whatever time you spend time with the Lord, about 16 different people uh, wrote in and helped us put that Devo Guide together, put 20 Devo's together, and there's some good ones. Uh, We didn't put their names in there. You can see if you can guess who they are. Uh, Some of them may sound a lot like a guy that puts his videos up on Instagram every morning. One of them may sound like that. Uh, Another may sound like a teen. We had some teens. We had deacons do it. We had elders do it. We had ladies. We had... It's just an incredible little thing that people put together. So please start your day with that and get going. But we're glad you guys are here. And I'm just amazed. You know, hearing Roberto talk about the body of Christ just a moment ago just reminds me of so much how big the family of Jesus is. And we lose sight of that because we live in a world of uproar. Peter Steinke says, our culture, American culture, right now, is living in a place of nowhere between two somewheres we live in a place of nowhere between two somewheres you guys aren't hearing anything new but our world is overturned it's confusing it's always up in the air what's coming next we have 24-hour news cycles where the world is telling us Chicken Little is telling us that the sky is falling and we feel that in our bones it seems that for the past two decades that we've lived in this place of nowhere between somewheres. It, been a, it was a new reality for us since 9 /11, but it is just normality for our young people. Since that day, in my experience, we seem to be in a 20-year endless cycle of war and terrorism and economic upheaval. and now We've experienced a pandemic. It seems that we survive one hard time only to be thrust into a new one. These really are strange and difficult times. Our world is caught up, and I'm speaking as a larger world, it's caught up in a hurricane of its own making. And unfortunately, the church has not been immune to that or even set apart from that. If this is an age of uproar, the church... Is in an uproar of its own. If you've been around church over the last decade or more or two decades, you know this. If you've been to a conference or you've been to any thing where somebody has talked about the future of the church, what you've heard is doom and gloom. You've heard about the decline of the American church. In our own tradition, how six churches of Christ in our culture close their doors every month. You've heard news, our own version of breaking bad news. The dwindling numbers, the closing doors, the moral failures, the lack of vision. We live in an age where we've watered down the gospel and left a cheap and empty version of it. Churches fight, they split, they argue. Then some people leave that church and go and start a new church only within two, one or two generations just to repeat history. It seems that the uproar of our culture has found a very comfortable home in our churches. I'm sad to say that we can sometimes be an unfortunate reflection of the wider world we live in. But enough of that bad news. Good morning, by the way. (laughs) I want to assure you this morning that what you feel and the worry that you face every day, if you feel a tension as a Christian... That is nothing new. In fact, a life of anxiety and a world turns upside down was the exact world and the constant problems of the world that Jesus walked in. In the first century, Jewish people, the nation of Israel were struggling. They were barely hanging on. Their world, first century Judaism, was a world of occupation. They weren't just unsure about The future they were unsure about today. Daily life was characterized and overshadowed by a ruling authority. Can you imagine being a priest, working in the temple in first century Judaism, and you have your vestments and your garbs, the things you're supposed to wear in order to set yourself apart and to be able to do the sacrifices, but before you could even go and put those on, you had to go ask the Roman authorities, can I wear these today? Or imagine going to the temple as a child or an adult and seeing the grandeur of the temple, But then next door was the Roman Praetorium, built one foot higher to remind the Jews who really was in control. The people in that time lived in fear, fear of persecution, threat of death, and daily loss. So the people, what do you do in a situation like that? Well, here's what else happened in that culture. They did what people do. When times are hard, people polarize. When things are confusing, people split up. They form tribal groups that we hear about, factions that we know about from the New Testament. If any of this sounds familiar, you should know. It's what our culture does today. But in the first century there was Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and Essenes. And all these groups were fighting to say we have the truth. We know what God wants us to do. Herodians saying well we can take a little bit of Judaism and also a whole lot of Roman and Greek culture. Pharisees saying oh the only way to bring back the kingdom of God is to be strict about all teaching. The priestly people, the Sadducees. They were corrupt. The Essenes decided that the best thing to do was to run to the desert, go to the, go, to, go to the Dead Sea and just hang out in caves for a while and just get away from society. The question on everybody's mind were the questions that we ask, just in similar but different ways. Do we comply? Do we complain? They took it even further. Do we take up arms? Do we shelter ourselves away in a desert hideout? Each faction arguing that they were right, that they were the holders of truth. This is the world Jesus stepped into. This is the world that he stepped into and then began to preach. God's new rule is here. God is up to something. God has a vision. He preached a message that at the time was so dangerous, the kingdom of God is here. It is exactly what got him murdered. It was so dangerous because it was so revolutionary. And there is scripture that shows us that exact thing. Our first scripture this morning is John 11, 45 through 48. It says many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Now, what they had just seen happen in John 11 was Lazarus had been dead for four days, and now he's not. Okay? This is an incredible miracle that's happened. People were mourning They were gathered around in what's called sitting shiv with with a Jewish tradition of being with people for seven days that starts all the way back in the book of Job. And now they've seen this guy that was in a tomb for four days walk out of this tomb, and they are starting to believe in Jesus. But look at how dangerous Jesus was to the people. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests... And Pharisees called the high council together, the Sanhedrin, the 70 uh, shot callers in in Jewish times. What are we going to do, they ask each other. This man, Jesus, certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, if we allow him to keep doing what he's doing, preaching the kingdom of God, showing the kingdom of God, look at what they're worried about. Soon everyone will believe in him. But really, what are they worried about? This last line, what I've got underlined, then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Now, this is interesting because this isn't about regardless of whether Jesus is right in his teaching, right? This isn't about Jesus' good sermons or his healings or anything else. This is a move to say we have to keep things as they are, we want power. This is about being motivated by fear of the future. And the people in power knew they had to do something because they knew what would happen if Jesus kept calling more people to his side. What is interesting about this passage is they were worried what was, right, what was happening in front of their eyes, but they were missing who was in front of their eyes. They were seeing that, uh uh-oh, Rome could do something in front of our eyes, and they totally missed what God was doing right in front of them. Now, this isn't just a one-time thing. The world that the early church grew up in, just 20 years later, was still tumultuous. Paul writes his largest letter to the Christians in Rome. A church who's divided, a church that has factions, a church who can't get along. It is a house divided in Rome, and here's why. We're going to jump into Romans 15 here in a second, but here's why Paul talks so much about unity and getting along and love being sincere and laying your life down in Romans. It's because what happened before Paul wrote this letter was in AD 49, the emperor Claudius was tired of small little riots and revolutions being started by Jewish people that he came up with an edict. It's called Claudius' Edict. Really really uh, creative there. But Claudius' Edict kicked all Jewish people, of anybody of Jewish descent, out of the city of Rome. And it had no timeline on it. So everybody of Jewish descent had to leave in 49 A.D. from Rome, including those who were Jewish Christians. Then in A.D. 54, Claudius dies, and his edict dies with him. And all of a sudden, five years later, you have a bunch of Jewish Christians coming back, and they join the Christian movement in these house churches all over Rome, and there is trouble. There's trouble because you have Gentile Christians who at one point were saying, yeah, we're the outsiders looking in, then all the Jewish Christians left, and they were the ones that held the influence. Now, five years later, the Jewish Christians who used to call the shots come back in and they say, uh-uh-uh, we got to go back to the way things were. Because we know Torah, and Jesus was a Jew, and we're following Jesus, but we're also following Judaism. And it was back and forth. The Gentiles saying, oh, there's freedom in Christ. And the Jews saying, no, no, no. you got to also follow the law. So Paul writes to them this long letter. And we're going to go to a cheater passage. There's two cheater passages that we're going to look look at today that sum it up. And what he's going to do is he's going in Rome to tell them that God is up to something bigger. His letter, in essence, is saying God is doing something right in front of you, bringing you into unity. He's making you one into a new family, a family that includes insiders, and outsiders. So there's two passages we're going to look at real quick, and then you'll see, you're like, Jake, where are you going with all this? I did this sermon for my wife last night, and when I was at this part, she was looking at me with this eye, like, where are you going with this? So if you're giving me the stink eye, I get it, all right? My wife, Allison, you don't have a stink eye, I'm sorry. So, all right, Happy Valentine's Day. All right. <laughs> Romans 1, 16 and 17 is our first summation. This is a thesis statement for the whole book, or for the whole letter. Paul says this, Starting out the letter, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. What do you mean, Paul? Well, here's what the gospel is. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. First for the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now the next passage, a little bit longer, it happens at the end of the book. He's work a little bit like bookends, and Paul sums up what the gospel does. Again, he's trying to write. You have it, have in mind as we read this passage, Romans fifteen seven through thirteen. Arguing factions over who's in and who's out, and here's what Paul says, Romans fifteen seven through thirteen. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you, in order. To bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Big picture Paul's saying. And then he goes on. As it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. And then he finishes this section by just saying may the God of all hope. Fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope. So God fill you with hope that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. And we've got to go through this quick, and there, I could talk about that passage for hours, but we'll just, we'll just do this. What Paul just said in chapter 1, 16 and 17, in chapter 15, 7 through 13, is, to quote my friends at the Bible Project, is a big uh, hyperlink, or what we'll call a Bible cheat code. What he's doing is summing up the big picture of what God is up to. It should be, although it's probably not at first glance, and it wasn't for me at first glance either, it should be one of those passages that you go, ah, oh, aha, and a little light comes on. Because what Paul is stating, that what God is doing is he is bringing in all people. Jews and Gentiles, together under the banner of Jesus. And how he does it in chapter 15 is so genius. He quotes four separate Old Testament passages. And if you were following along with the Bible, you may have seen those footnoted. He quotes from Deuteronomy. 32-43, Thirty-two, forty-three, from 2 Samuel twenty-two, fifty, 50 from Psalm 117-1, and from Isaiah eleven, ten, passages from about 1,500 different years of Old Testament writing to say one thing. He quotes from Moses, he quotes from David, he quotes from the Psalms, he quotes from the Proverbs. He's basically hitting all the highlights, all the big points of your Old Testament to say one one thing, and that is this. The plan of God has always been to create one big family. This is why Jesus came. This is why we do missions. This is what he's doing. God has always been about knocking down walls and bringing people into unity. And this unity is not based on a flag or a specific nation or a piece of land. This unity is built under a way of life by faith those who live by faith in the kingdom of Jesus now what's interesting here just a side note is that the four passages that Paul quotes use the words Gentiles over and over now you're probably familiar with that word you probably learned if you went to Sunday school as a kid that a Gentile to a Jew is just a non-Jew But the word has a bigger meaning. The Greek word here is the word ethne, where we get the word ethnic. It's also the root of the word where we get genetics. And the word means not just non-Jews, it means all nations. Not by nations by flag, but nations by bloodline. And what Paul is saying here is so cool. The word means all people's backgrounds. That Jesus came not to just save the Jews, but to bring in all nationalities, all ethnicities. For everybody to come under one roof. Now more about that here in a little bit. But what you need to know now is God is bringing all ethne into his family. That is God's goal. And let me assure you this morning, that goal has not changed God is still up to that. That's why we support missions. That's why we set a goal as high as we did last year, even in a strange year, where we don't know what the future is going to look like. Because the goal that began on the day of Pentecost continues on February 14th, 2021, right? It's to bring all people to know Jesus. Because God is still up to something in the world. God is still doing great things, like using A taxi cab driver in Guatemala on the border near Mexico to baptize six people last month. How cool is that? God is still up to something. So let's ask that question. What is God up to in the world? I'm glad you asked. And I want to give a shout out to Dan Bouchelle from the Mission Resource Network for sharing these statistics with me that I'm going to share with you. I want you to see for the next few moments here, and then we're going to hear from Jonathan Stein from Contact and see what God is up to in the world. So let's go. Here's what God's up to. In the year 1900, just 121 years ago, the continent of Africa was 9.4% Christian, represented 11.7 million people. These stats are a little bit old, but in 2010, 110 years later, the continent of Africa was 48% Christian, representing 485 million people. In 2025, in four years, if Christianity continues to grow on the continent of Africa, it'll be estimated there'll be a 1 billion Christians on that continent. Is that not crazy? God is up to something in the world. Let's keep going. Check this out. Brazil, who we send missionaries to, Kelly, and South Korea send more missionaries out to the rest of the world than any other country in the world today. The biggest center of missionaries comes from the east and from the global south. How cool is that? Love that. Let's keep going. The largest attended Christian church in all of Europe, the whole continent of Europe, is led by a missionary who started the church from Nigeria. (laughs) God is doing things across the world. The fifth largest church in our country, not in our country, but in New York City, New York, New York, is also led by a Nigerian missionary who reaches out to immigrants. The fifth largest church. Now you may say, well, there's no big churches in New York City. Yeah, there is. Redeemer Church in New York City is over twenty-five thousand people. Okay, there's big churches there. There's a lot of people there. All right, let's keep going. God is up to something. All right, this is incredible. In our own tribe, there are more members of the Churches of Christ in Africa than there are in the U.S., and it's not even close. It's almost more—a million more. It's not even close. Incredible. In 1970. There were no legally functioning churches in China. In fact, public churches. There were probably underground churches we don't really know. But now today in China, and you guys may already know this, there are 120 million Christians in China. And that's a low-end estimate. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. The final one and then another word is you need to hear this. Recently especially in the last five, six, seven years, there have been more refugee camps and more people on the move from the Muslim world than ever before in history because of the war in Syria and Iraq and what is happening in that area. So more Muslims have come to know Christ in the last 14 years than in the previous 1,400 years combined. In fact, the fastest growing Group of Christians in the world is in Iran. It's estimated that Iran now has a 800,000 followers of Jesus. It's the fastest growing place. I saw a video last year of a baptism of 600 people, all in Iran, saying, "I'm ready to follow Jesus." So, what's God up to in the world? Oh, I had that one on there. All right, that's incredible. What is God up to in the world? Well, he's the same thing he was up to in Jesus' time and Paul's time and what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years. He's been answering his own son's prayer that my son read a little bit ago. Father, make us one as I and you are one. So this morning, we listened to Roberto and heard about the growth of Christianity in Guatemala, a place that we lovingly support. But I also want you to see this morning what God is up to in North Tulsa, in a ministry that's slow to change the culture, but yet is still changing the culture. So we're going to hear a little bit now from Jonathan Stein, who's upside down on your screen, but he will turn right side up here in just a second. Let's listen to Jonathan.
0: Good morning, Canadian family. It's so great to get a chance to be with you this morning over video and to get to share a little bit. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jonathan Stein. I'm one of the ministers at the Contact Mission Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, a lot of you guys, especially who have teens, know who we are because your teens have come out and man, are we blessed to have such a great relationship with y'all. Uh, some of the families, they're Canadian, Perkins, the Sawyers have been been rocks for us for a while, and so we are so thankful for your your love. Um, my wife Brittany is a school psychologist here in Oklahoma. Our daughter Lara is three years old, and if you didn't know, we're going to have another one named Anna Jo. June 9th is when she's due, so we're looking forward to that this summer. So that's a little bit about us. Let me tell you about contact. If you don't know about contact, I'm going to read you our mission statement real quick, and I'm going to be looking like this every once in a while during the video to read some from my notes that are over here, so when I look away, you'll know what's going on. Uh, Contact Mission Church of Christ serves to make disciples of Jesus Christ by planting seeds of hope and a future among youth and families from all walks of life and circumstances. We do this by following Jesus into West Tulsa's apartment complexes, neighborhoods, and public schools to share the good news and create kingdom community. As we serve, we also train and empower congregations and youth groups across Tulsa and beyond to do the same in their own backyards. We are so blessed to be in an area where there is um, a great amount of need and also a great amount of openness to us being able to come in and to work with the schools and and the, the neighborhoods and just everywhere that's around us. And it is such a blessing that we have opportunities to bring in other people to also serve with us. So that's just such a great thing. And again, thank you so much for sending your teams for things like our camp in the summer. Thank you so much for sending Jillian last summer to be one of our amazing interns. She did such a great job. And this upcoming summer, we're going to have Tess and Kylie and Monty all as interns. And you guys just bless us over and over again. And I didn't even talk about the financial blessing that you guys are to us as well. So thank you so much for all you do. Now, on to sermon stuff. Okay, so at Contact this year, uh, we, we've been picking a word for the year the last couple of years, when we do our vision Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, and this year our word is service, and I want to just uh, get in the mind with that, because I think it's going to really tie into what Jake's been talking about this morning. So when I think about service, one of the things that I think the biggest about is in John chapter 13, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, Right? And he washes peter 's feet, who sticks his foot in his mouth, he washes thomas 's feet who 's going to doubt that jesus that jesus is really alive he 's washing judas 's feet, who betrays him and and you just think about the different kinds of people that were in jesus circle. you think about his twelve disciples, you know the variety that he 's serving he 's got fishermen he 's got a roman sympathizer he 's got someone who probably wanted to kill the roman sympathizer he 's got this doubter he 's got uh, all these other disciples, we don't even really know much about them. And then beyond that, he's got this bigger circle of people that are hanging out with him. He's got uh, the women. We know some of them, like Mary Magdalene, who we know is possessed. And uh, we know that uh, there was another one who worked in the king's house. We know that, like, James and John's mom was rolling around with them, too. And and just all these different kinds of people from different, uh, especially socioeconomic strata. Because some of them, you know, of course, again, in king's house, tax collector uh, Judas was finding ways to pocket money and then all the way to these fishermen who are you know day workers and are really struggling probably a lot of times based on what happens out on the water and as as we look at acts and as we look at the back half of the New Testament we see the variety of people from different countries different languages again different socioeconomic statuses and and they're all welcomed in and and Jake I know has already talked about, how wide the kingdom is from all of these different vantage points. And that's such a blessing. And it's such a blessing that we also get to experience in a lot of ways at Contact. Now, in Tulsa, we're not exactly a world hub, if you know what I mean, like a New York City or a London or somewhere like that. Uh, but even in our zip code, 74107, that we primarily focus on, we are seeing increased diversity. Uh socioeconomically, over 20 percent of families are below the poverty level and the pandemic. That's 2019 numbers. Uh, after this pandemic has been happening, I mean, the rug just got pulled out from the families above that line and it has been just struggle. So there's people that that we get to worship with and that we get to serve that are, you know, have nothing up to people who who are very stable and then we've got people who worship with us too who you know own businesses and and are doing pretty well and so one of the blessings at context we get to to worship all across the socioeconomic strata and we get to to serve together and find ways to bless each other uh then of course there's like ethnicity um the mixed by percentage in our zip code we've got the most white then we've also got black native american and we've got a growing hispanic population and, and that's something that we get to also see at Contact. We have people from, from all those backgrounds and those ethnic diversity. And that's, that's a blessing because there's something bit different that comes from people from different groups. Median age in our zip code is 35. Here, uh, that age and younger tends to be unchurched. And so we're, we're getting to be with a lot of people and welcome a lot of people and talk to a lot of people who have just a cursory knowledge of Jesus and what's going on. And really all they know is what they see in the media. And man, you know that that's not a great start for us. Uh, But then Gen Z, if you guys have heard anything about this, as with everywhere, man, their experiences of life are radically different from prior generations, especially in regards to technology and sexuality. The way that they view themselves and they view others is so different from even how me, just a few years older, look at those things. How I, just a few years older, look at those things. And so uh, we, we see all that. And as we get to go into the schools, especially in the high school and middle school, you know, we see that and we experience how those teens and those kids are just looking at the world with a completely different set of lenses than any of us came equipped with. So at Contact, how do we deal with it? I wanna look at three things. And the big overarching is this phrase, adaptability is key. Ron has this phrase that he says, we're gonna go keg them, K-E-G, keep them guessing. And and what we like to do is we don't wanna be predictable. We want to make sure that we find ways to meet the situation and to surprise people as hopefully the way Jesus was often surprising people. If you look at the gospel accounts, Jesus is always subverting expectations and doing things not the same way as he did them before. And it throws people for a loop and that's how we like to try to do things. So here's some things that we've been thinking about that kind of attach with that, uh, that I think will be uh, connected to the to the sermon today. And if we want to be one family, you know, here are these three things that have helped us be one family and that I hope that we're still growing in to continue to be such. First off, Jesus has to be the center of everything, right? Jesus has to be at the center. Programs and traditions traditions have to be constantly evaluated in light of putting the story and community of Jesus in front of people, okay? So if it's not focusing on Jesus, it's not worth keeping. If it's not about Jesus, somehow, there's not a way we can say, yeah, this is going to help us show people who Jesus is and invite people into the life of Jesus. It's it's really not worth doing. And and that could be any kind of program. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the first thing. Second thing is the mission has to be prioritized over the method. And this really follows from that that part before. You know, the mission, as we think about our commission, All of us as Christians go into all the world, make disciples of all creation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the mission, right? Is we've got to go, we've got to share, we've got to teach people about who Jesus is, but we've got to invite them into the love of God. And if the way we're doing things prevents people from doing that, then we need to drop the way we're doing it and change to a different way, as long as we're sticking to the mission. So, What does that mean? You know, Online has become a big priority for all of us. We've been doing a lot of texting outreach lately and I've gotten to connect with a lot of people from our Christmas store and from some of our other programs that I had never done before and we'd never gotten around to because of just shooting text messages. And it's been great how many people I've gotten to pray with and pray for and bring food to and really just continue to reach out to because of that. Um, and, And sometimes the old ways are good too. So double masking and going and sitting on somebody's couch and reading the word with them is, is key too. And I got to do that just this last week with the family. And it was, it was so life-giving to get to read the first chapter of Mark with them. Uh, and the third thing, so Jesus has to be the center, mission over method. And the third thing is inclusivity. It's got to be inclusive. Different cultural backgrounds are not a hindrance to the gospel. Diversity helps us to learn new aspects of our infinite Lord and reflects the global family of Christ. So right now we're starting very Uh, haphazardly to add some Spanish to our services as we continue to see an increasing Hispanic community and uh, we did that for the first time this past Sunday and it was okay and we're going to keep growing at that uh, and we're going to keep working that. Reflection on local and global issues is also something that's important for us to do because people, especially youth, are always online and they're keyed into everything that's going on around us. If we can't talk about it with a church, If we can't talk about the things that are going on with the church, are we really transforming people's lives totally to reflect and follow Christ? And so inclusivity of both uh, ethnic and cultural pieces, but also inclusivity of we wanna include the things that people are thinking about, the things that people are struggling with. Okay, so I've already gone over my time. So I just wanna tell you real quick and invite you, as you take all this, and as you think about being one family, As we think about service, what are the things that we can let go of to allow others easier access to Jesus? Okay, what can we let go of? Think of people you come into contact with during a typical week. What's in between them and Jesus? And if we don't know, how can we find out? So what can we remove? What can we take off of people to allow them access to Jesus? I love you guys. Thank you so much for letting me be with you this morning. Uh, keep on thinking souls, grace and peace. And I will see you, I hope sometime in not too long. All right. Love you. Bye.
2: All right, man, that was so good. Thank you, Jonathan and uh, Roberto earlier. Um, and he said it, we remove those barriers because God is building a family. And when we keep God from building a family, we may not crucify Jesus, but like the Jews in John 11, we get more concerned about what we can see versus what God is doing. Across this globe, And there's so much diversity, diversity in views and backgrounds and culture and thoughts and ideas and values and skin color and, and hair types and languages and more. But think about this, church. In the Jesus movement and in the Jesus story and teaching, all people from all places are able to answer their deepest desires and concerns. This is true. What I'm about to say is true is that the Jesus movement, since its inception, is the most culturally and ethnically diverse people movement in history. Have you ever thought about that? you're not an average christian americans we think we're the average christian all christians look like us you know what an average christian across the globe looks like they're poor they're probably female they probably live on less than five dollars a day and they probably live somewhere in like guatemala or brazil or somewhere like that that's the average christian but god designed it that way in fact your passage on the screen is a passage we alluded to earlier. Revelation 5, 9 and 10 speaks of this worship service in heaven, a vision of what heaven will look like. It's this moment where the lamb is realized he looks like a lion, but he's actually a slain lamb who has died for the sins of the world. And they break out in this new song, and the passage says, and they sang this new song, saying, some, some of our people are going to be upset that there's new songs in heaven, Barry. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was, a, that was a low blow. Here's what they say You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God. Look what he purchased for God, church. Persons from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. You've made them to be a what? A kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. So God's desire, what's he doing? He's making us one. One with him. From every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. There's this great church building in Jerusalem. It's actually built on the Mount of Olives. It's called the Church of the Paternoster which is, which is uh, Latin for the Church of the Lord's Prayer. And this church's vision and goal was to build a building to visualize the global family of what Jesus started as he taught on the Mount of Olives. And so in that church building, it looks like this. There's these mosaics of over a 100 languages that all say the same thing, the Lord's Prayer. And over and over, if you walk the halls of that building, you just get to see what God hears every day. Millions of people praying to him in their tongue from every tribe and nation over the whole earth. So as we start Missions Month, man, I understand that we start into Missions Month and many of us are worried about the future but let's be reminded of three things and then we'll close really quick. If God is up to making a big family, then what do we need to be up to as well? Number one is we need to remember and we need to live into victory. God is winning. God's winning. It may not feel like it to us, But God's winning, so let's get on board with what he's doing. When you support a church who supports missions, you support the winning team. And number two, God's building a family. Let's remember that. He's doing things that are are so huge. He's doing them in Tulsa, and he's doing them in Guatemala, and he's doing them in Brazil, and he's doing them through AIM Kids that go to Alaska and, and all over the world. He is building a global family. So we can lean into that. God is winning. That's why we don't gather as a church family and wring our hands and go, oh, no, 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 no. What well, we gather, we do, and we say God's building a family, and that includes Canadian. He's building a family. And that leads us to number three. Mission here builds mission there. When we lean into what God's big purpose is to make us one, then we start to realize he's also doing that here in Canadian. We're going to be looking for some of y'all soon to serve. We're going to start offering in the next couple months free English lessons for people who speak Spanish only in this town. And we're going to use the gospel to do that. The world isn't staying the same. It's not. Did you know between 2000 and 2013, 44% of everybody born into the state of Texas, 44% of people born in Texas were not white they were foreign-born I don't know what our stats are now but we are over 50% probably in Canadian Latin America I know our schools are And some people want to look at that and go, oh, the world's changing, we don't understand it. Christians look at that and we go, mission here builds mission there. We look at that and we go, if God's building a family worldwide, guess what he's also doing in Canadian, Texas? He's building a family of God in Canadian. And what God's doing is sending, because the United States is a great place to live, praise God for that, he's sending the whole world to this country. We will not be faithful if we reject that. We will be faithful when we say, "Who all's moving in next door?" let's invite them into the family of Jesus, whether they speak our language, know our culture or not. Because as Jonathan just said, this movement is most ethnically diverse movement in the world, and it has no home culture. It has a Jesus culture, and that meets everybody where they're at so this is missions month and God is making us one we're here for you we're going to stand together and sing but I hope you're excited about this and you join us and participate in missions month with us through devos through prayers and then on March 7th as well as we give let's uh, stand together and let's sing